Thanks for listening to the Q&A podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Hello and welcome back to the Q&A podcast. If you are joining us for the very first time, this is the fourth and final segment of a a four-part mini-series that we've been doing on science and faith. And I'm here with our in-house science teachers, uh, Kelly Walters and Matthew Crossgree, to tackle what has become perhaps the most controversial topic Uh, in the science faith arena, and that is evolution. Uh, Where did life come from? How has it developed? Is it governed by random chance uh, or by God himself? Uh, What does science tell us about uh, evolution? What do the scriptures have to say about the origins of humanity and uh, life in the universe? Uh, Those are the rather heated topics that we are going to step into today. And we've got a a ton to cover, uh, so I want us to jump right in. But before we do, I want to uh, sort of lay our cards on the table a bit by reiterating that all three of us in this room are uh, passionate followers of Jesus. We believe that the scriptures are true and inspired and even authoritative. And uh, we are also all science majors who have been very passionate about science as a discipline. And as a result, we've spent uh, years living in the tension that we'll be Mm -hmm. exploring today. Uh, But as we turn our attention toward uh, evolution, you've got more tension than usual. And uh, I think far more tension than the age of the earth debate, which we talked about last episode. I think evolution to me is sort of the epicenter of modern day tension. Uh, So much so that within the Christian world, uh, evolution is sort of a dirty word. (laughs) Uh, It feels that way. It's sort of become this naturalistic, materialistic, uh, atheistic word uh, that we have this gut level reaction to. And Mm -hmm. so before we can really get anywhere in the conversation, uh, we have to ask, uh, what do we mean when we use the word evolution? Are there different ways to use that word? How do you define it? Uh, so, uh, Kelly, Matthew, I'll turn it over to you guys. Uh, what do we mean when we use the word evolution? Um, that in ter- turns out to be an incredibly important question, and I, I uh, talk to my students um, about this a lot because here's what happens. Uh, if you've ever been in an argument and two people are passionately arguing about a topic, but they find out later, and sometimes they never find out, that they're actually using different definitions. So we need to define what evolution is to begin with. And, uh, and often when um, evolution in a textbook or, or by um, a, a science uh, teacher um, defines it, they'll use either um, the evolution is a change in time of a population or a change over time of gene pool of a population. And a simplistic example I use with my students is um, if I look at the, um, the different variations of um, white-tailed deer on Mount Spokane, and I've studied them over a period of 20 years, I might find from year to year 
that there is more long-legged uh, white tails or more uh, white tails with big ears or big noses or whatever, that the, the actual characteristics might change and, and, and go up and down based on the conditions and so forth. And, and um, biologists would define that as evolution, and it is. At the same time, when, um, when we are talking about this, evolution is actually a big story that many people are thinking of, and it does have, um, have to do with uh, the story of everything from how, um, how creatures um, change from one form to another, how we move from simple life forms to complex life forms, and, and all the way back to going from chemicals in, in the uh, primordial ocean to the first living cell. And that's all under the umbrella of evolution. So it gets very confusing, and often people, science-minded um, people or, or naturalists who, are, who are, uh, have a strong belief in, in the whole story will uh, tell the people who may be resisting the whole story by telling them that evolution is a fact. Evolution has been proven. Evolution is observed over and over and over again, and nobody disputes it. And with the, the narrow definition that I just used of change in population over time, that is absolutely true. That part of it we can observe, and no scientist or no informed person would really dispute that definition. But then when we're talking about, let's say, on the other end of the spectrum, the beginning of life from non-life that has very little evidence, uh, evolution is, is a grand theory that tries to explain how that happened, too. And so... So it sounds like evolution <laughs> is both... Um, a way of observing change in a population right. over time, right? And it can be a grand story of everything, of how life came from non-life, of how life has changed and and evolved o over time to get everything that we see today. Exactly. And so within a debate or or even a conversation yes. um, that involves, say, a Christian and a non-Christian, yes. the non-Christian could turn to the Christian and say, "Do you believe in evolution?" Yes. And that's a very loaded question Yes, because you're saying, well, wait a second. What do you mean by evolution? Right. I believe that the population of deer on Mount Spokane change year to year. Yes. Um, but I don't necessarily buy into the entire story, sort of naturalistic, atheistic story right. of life in the universe. And right. So you have to be able to differentiate between those two definitions. Yes. And the science person might be or the atheist might be saying this is it's not a disputed idea. And on the other hand, the theist might be saying, it's just a theory, it's, and, and especially the ignorant um, a theist or Christian who really doesn't know science might say, no, it's not proven at all. We, mm -hmm. we, don't, you know, we don't have any proof. We don't have any evidence. And, and they're kind of showing their ignorance on that end. And so it's really important to define the terms to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the, the term theory in science just means a, a broad explanation of many, many phenomena that we see. And so the evolutionary theory tries to explain many, 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 many things. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to target those aspects that you think are weak and, and debate those specifically, I think, rather than trying to say the entire theory is wrong because, mm -hmm. because some of the theory has rock solid evidence for it right. mm -hmm. and, and other places, not so much. And so we want to yeah. be careful about yes. how we attack that. Yeah. So when we come to define the word evolution... Um, you've talked about changes over time within a population. Can you talk yeah. about the difference between microevolution and macroevolution as two separate terms that we could define? Yeah, and in fact, I'm going to add a third one too. Um, the uh, the 
I, I really talked about three different levels, and I, uh, or I'm going to talk about three different levels of evolution. What I define as three levels. So the, the first level is micro, and I'm going to let Matthew talk about that. Sure. And the second level is um, what often is termed macroevolution. And the, the third level is, is the um, beginning of life itself from non-life, mm -hmm. which is a, a, it really has a whole different set of, uh, of requirements uh, and, and uh, evidence and so forth. And there's very little gain, um, that's been uh, gained in that area. So, so yeah, real briefly, uh, evolution just means change over time. Yes. So you can talk about evolution of stars or evolution yes, of different things. Yes, that's another things. confusion. Yeah, just how things change over time. So when we're talking biological evolution, put that together with micro. Micro means small. Mm -hmm. So you get small-scale changes. That's simply put mm -hmm. what microevolution means. So these are changes within a given species. So if yes. you were to track a species and from year to year or uh, more likely from generation to generation, you'll see... Uh, the distribution of traits trending in one direction or another. Mm -hmm. And there could be all kinds of explanations. It could be random chance. It could be environmental related. Um, you know, if, if the next generation of humans has a different number of uh, brown eyes and blue eyes. And, yeah, but percentages of those change, that's microevolution. Mm -hmm. Does that have any real bearing over, uh, you know, the broad scope of how life has changed? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But that's just an example to say, yes, microevolution certainly happens. Um, I would add another um, maybe level of evolution between micro and macro, which is speciation. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of can fit in somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And it's where we see enough changes in an organism or a population that we would then classify it as a new species. Mm -hmm. And this is sometimes uh, used as further evidence by the evolutionary apologists saying, well, see, we even have observed speciation, this new species coming from a previous species. So the whole thing's right. Okay, mm -hmm. connect the dots with me here. Mm -hmm. We've seen speciation, new species come from old species. And I would okay. say... So, so just to cut you off, to sure, bring it yeah, back to deer on Mount Spokane, sure. I'm going to watch them for three or four generations uh -huh. and say, wow, most of the population, uh, their legs are getting longer. Every, every you know, generation that passes by, this is really interesting. And mm -hmm. there might be environmental forces or predators or something that is mm -hmm. encouraging that, right? And so, oh, oh wow, for this population on Mount Spokane, their legs are getting longer generation after generation. Um, that's microevolution. Mm -hmm. The species is changing over time. Then speciation would be, oh, well, there was actually you know, this uh, pocket of short-legged deer, maybe on the other side of Mount Spokane, and now they are, aren't even interacting with each other, or maybe they, they aren't breeding together, or maybe they can't breed together anymore. So we would say, oh, we have a short-legged deer and a long-legged deer, both right. living on Mount Spokane. They can't breed, so they're different species. Is, yeah. is that kind of a... To some extent, yeah. That uh, And so it's even, like you were saying, part of, of the explanation can just be that they simply don't interbreed anymore not mm -hmm. that they can't but either behaviorally they don't recognize mm -hmm. each other or physically they're just physically um incompatible far apart it right. could be incompatibility my point is that uh this idea of what a species is is a human construct mm -hmm. of what is a species and even what sounds like a simple question like that 
there's a lot of debate around that. And um, there's debate about is are these subspecies or are they exactly. different species? Yeah, like in flowers, we have lots of varietals and things like yeah. that or subspecies. In dogs, yeah. we have lots of breeds, but they're all right. dogs. And but so, to, to bring it back to microevolution, right. you're saying we watch microevolution mm-hmm. happen. Yes. So mm-hmm. you, there's no sense as a Christian in saying microevolution isn't real. Like right. Any human being can just watch it happen mm-hmm. with deer on a mountain or um, you know bacteria that are Absolutely. multiplying in a yeah. petri yes. dish yep. or whatever. You can watch it happen. And mm-hmm. and here's what's very important in this um, for Christians especially to realize is that when a biologist is talking about evolution, almost all the examples they're going to use. The textbook examples that that support evolution, the research that's done on evolution, almost all of it, except for fossils and, and some of the things, but the vast majority of it is along the lines of microevolution. Mm-hmm. And so, when when uh, a Christian makes a statement that they don't believe in evolution, they just sound a totally ignorant. Yeah, they you, just like like you you don't understand science. You don't understand all this research because mm-hmm. it's not like a, a, a rant, you know, kind of an obscure theory and idea it's got this this mountain volume of support right but again but they're talking about this one um or a level i guess that they're we, talking about microevolution. Micro so if you're right. if you're the christian who gets cornered and say yes. do you believe in evolution <laughs> yeah um you might be thinking macro which we'll talk about yeah, next right. and they might be thinking micro yeah which is like prove and prove and prove and come sit yeah. and watch it happen yeah and and so you ha- that's why you have to define yeah. the terms because yeah. otherwise you're speaking right past each other. Yes, exactly. and one of you is thinking the other one's crazy. Yes, and within this idea of microevolution, we'll wrap it up hopefully here quickly. But the famous uh, phrase of survival of the fittest or natural where, selection, yeah, which would be natural selection, is mm-hmm. kind of where this fits in, and that is nothing to be afraid of. That's mm-hmm. absolutely things that we see that right. the the traits that help you survive tend to be passed on right. to the next generation the, because the, you're the able long, to. The long-legged deer were able to escape Survive the, the winters more exactly. often. Or the, yeah. And yeah. therefore, they bred twice as much and right. the short-legged deer all got eaten. So, hey, look, the yeah. population yes. is different now. Or and if they, the short-legged deer become more agile and they right. can you know, outmaneuver the right. predator totally. better than the long-legged deer, whatever the, the pressure might be, yes. that's that can often be the explanation behind yeah. those changes. Yeah. And we watch that happen too. Yes, yes. exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that. that's kind of a snapshot of microevolution. Yes. Um, but we want to differentiate that from <laughs> macroevolution. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to make those separate compartments in our minds. Yeah. Um, Kelly, can you explain for us what macroevolution is um, and kind of how the two relate? Yeah. So macroevolution is is large scale changes and changes in forms. And, and, and you could define, you know, some people would say, well, it's a species changing a different species. And we could go with that. But really what um, what the the bigger question is 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 um, whole uh, life forms um, phylums, for example, changing in, in over time to different phylums, uh, classes um, changing in different classes. So so we're talking the um, you know let's let's go back in time. Uh, you try to draw a evolutionary um, line from uh, reptiles from from dinosaurs, let's say that somehow. From the dinosaurs, um, their their grand great 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 grandchildren uh, were became mammals, for example, mm-hmm. and then there and then the great grandchildren of the certain first mammals of the little little mouse or whatever um, evolved to the deer mount Spokane. Right. And so so it's looking at those those whole scale changes, and the the difference there is is in um, the microevolution changes. We already have the genes there. We already have them representative. 
or even a variation of a gene. Um, there's a great um, video that we show um, to our students about this, um, this, this pocket mouse um, that, uh, that over time, uh, over this lava field, uh, a slight change in their gene um, allowed them to change, the color of the, of the fur changed. And so then, because they were on this lava field, the dark ones um, were protected and they didn't get picked off as much. And so there was a, so over time, there's a lot of these dark um, uh, pocket mouse, uh, mice, excuse me, in, um, in this lava field. Uh, so that's microevolution again. And so that's another example that's used. But in the macroevolution, you'd have to have um, some major structural changes, mm. uh, major systems, uh, the difference between reptiles and birds. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that, okay, they've got some feathers. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a whole set of things that allow birds to fly. Right. Uh, or, or birds to have their characteristics. <clears throat> they have hollow bones and they, mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, a whole, whole bunch of different things. Or mammals have all kinds of characteristics that the reptiles don't have. Totally. Different systems. Different systems. Yeah. And so the question is, and, and, and the answer I'll tell you right now, that the evolutionists will say, well, what we see in micro we just give those same little, you know, give it, we, two things have to happen, by the way. You have to have mutate, mutations or you don't have any other genes. You don't have new, right. new, new variations of the theme. You have to have mutations. Yes. And then another key thing is you have to have isolation. Right. That's a key. You have to have somehow, and you mentioned the two, maybe the mountain is separating them, but right. usually it has to be more profound than that. You're mm -hmm. going to have to have, mm -hmm. you know, a, 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 a an, river, an, an ocean, an island yeah. or something to separate them for a long period of time. Because if you don't, what you have is just more variation. So let's use the deer as an example. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say some deer um, develops some, I don't know, some um, a mutation that some of them were white that gave them an advantage in the winter. So they're albino, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so there's this mutation. Well, it's not much of a change at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and But then what's to stop them from interbreeding? And so so now we have not only darker you know white tails but a little lighter skin but also some white white tails mm -hmm. that their fur is all white well, we just still have white-tailed deer we have the right. same species right or even if we allow it to expand to a different species we still basically have the same life form right so what macroevolution is purporting is that we have enough mutations and they're so isolated that you're given enough time and they are no longer reproducing with the other mm -hmm. they're no longer mixing the genes we have an entirely new um, new organism mm -hmm. that has has di different characteristics that didn't exist before right and so the challenge with that is huge um, and the lack and there there's we can see some some fossil progressions it seems like okay this form changed a little bit to this form to this form and we see some examples but actually the vast majority of examples we don't see mm -hmm. we don't see the fossil record a dar a darwin would have expected that there would be this nice um, uh, kind of family tree that we could we could watch the, in the fossils that we could see mm -hmm. this progression of how this characteristic slowly 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 changed. We see examples like evolution of the horse in textbooks, and there's there's some like that that we could try to follow, mm -hmm. but we don't see very many of those examples. Right. They're rare, really right. rare right. that we find them. So just to just yes. to just to recap this, yes. because I'm playing, I know this is, I'm, I'm yeah. playing the non Keep us on the audience. The non, I, I, <laughs> yes, I know this is hard. I need to represent them yes. a little bit. So what we're saying is that. We can split evolution into at least two categories, microevolution and macroevolution. With microevolution, everyone is on board with that. Yes. No matter like what your background is, like every Christian, no matter how you interpret Genesis, yes. is saying, yes, microevolution happens yes. because we can watch it happen. 
You can even be on board with the fact to say, in the right conditions, one type of deer might be able to come become two, right? right? And you might be able to get different types of deer emerging yes. from the one. Mm -hmm. But what macro evolution has done is really tried to extrapolate that out and make some massive, massive jumps. And so yes. when I was a kid, I went to a public school and we were, and, and, and I assume most kids growing up, I presented with Darwin's tree of life, Yeah. right? And so what it shows is, oh, you started with a rat or whatever the example is, and that gave birth to every single mammal that we have. It just right. from splits and splits and splits and mutations right. and isolation and given enough time, they all split. The problem is that when you look in the fossil record, that's not what you see, right? And so you have these ideas in macroevolution that, that sound great in theory, especially uh, if you if you don't have God in the picture at all. You say, mm -hmm. well, yeah, this is, that it logically makes sense. If I can watch one deer become two species of deer, then surely we could imagine these species splitting out. But then you go and, and actually look at the evidence we have and you say, well, wait a second, we actually don't have the evidence to support that. So if I love macroevolution, what I'm gonna be constantly doing is pointing to microevolution. Well, look, right. there's micro, look, there's micro, yeah. look, there's micro. So make a leap of faith with me, surely there's macro. Yes. Is that kind of uh, one way of describing it? Yes, and I would say that there is, you know, in defense of, uh, again, of, of the evolutionary story, um, there is some fossil support, mm -hmm. you know, and so it's not like there's not any support at all. And so that, that tree, the Darwin tree of the, the mammals or whatever, um, but it's, it's done um, really in trying to work backwards, look at fossils and say, okay, how could I make this story work? Mm -hmm. So we're starting with the assumption that the story, that all this happened naturally. Right. And we can find some, some evidence, but what we, uh, that, but it's in so many cases, it's just not, it's not very clear at all. And it's not like we have all of these transitions. Mm -hmm. And again, um, what it's, you could take something like a mammal that has, you know, four four legs has um, the the internal organs and so forth has the eyes, and you could do variations of the theme by lengthening legs and stretch, you know, this or that, and you have the variations of the theme. But to create entirely new structures, mm -hmm. that it's very difficult to come up with how those would develop when there's not a function to begin with. Right. So that's one of the challenges with uh, the macroevolution idea. However, I. I will say when we're, we're when we're talking about these two different levels of evolution, when you take a biology class, generally you're not going to hear instruction def defining now here's micro, now here's macro. And right. generally, you're just going to teach you evolution. Mm -hmm. They won't split it for you. No. Yeah. And so this is a, this is a distinction. I mean, uh, uh, there's biologists make a distinction at times, but often they gloss over it. They're mm -hmm. just trying to show you how evolution is supported, and they say, mm -hmm. well, you just Basically, these micro mechanisms, you just give it enough time and you add some right. isolation and some mutations and right. we got it. Yeah. Yeah. All the mechanisms are taught at that micro level. Be for one, they're understood and they make sense right. and we can observe them. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, so that's kind of on that. all we have to work with. Yeah. And, and so if you look for those mechanisms over the big picture, long histories, you just can't really get that level of detail there. So mm -hmm. you just have to say, well... These mechanisms that are well understood plus time equals all these changes. Mm -hmm. And the the interesting thing I find with the arranging the fossils and trying to put some of these uh, timelines together, mm -hmm. like you said, we have some examples where it looks like there's these transitions and things like that. Um, I've never done this, but I think you could probably take 
all the different dog breeds we have today. And if you said, hey, I dug these up and they're fossils and you arrange them as, oh, look at how these have changed. These organisms have changed over time. And you could put this story together about, right. about how dogs have changed. But it turns out they were all alive at the same time and they weren't actually connected mm -hmm. through a family tree. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a question that's not addressed well, that even when we put these transitionary forms together, there's really no way to do a paternity test and, mm -hmm. and find, are they actually in mm -hmm. uh, the same family tree mm -hmm. or were they just coexisting species with similar forms, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's a lack or a weakness of, mm -hmm. again, the evolutionary theory on that mm -hmm. uh, scale is you can't ever say definitively that these were in the same uh, family tree or, mm -hmm. or family line. There's a whole bunch of reconstructing things in, in the deep, past uh you know millions of years old you know if you take the old earth um ideas and and the dating um and trying to reconstruct the story mm -hmm. but there's a the assumption with the evolutionist is that the story is there somehow and that it's all a natural story mm -hmm. that these things came about naturally and mm -hmm. so you're working really hard to try to fi figure out a mechanism and it's right. storytelling in some respects i mean you're right, making right. up a plausible, you know, plausible explanation for how right. things could. So if evolve. I assume it, everything's up to random chance, yeah. and I assume that all of Darwin's theories are right, I'll start with those assumptions, and now I'm going to dig, 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 and try and find evidence that will fit those assumptions. Right. Uh, and that's kind of how, what I was raised in. Mm -hmm. um, but I was kind of surprised as I grew older to learn about um, some of the issues Mm -hmm. uh, that are inherent in kind of that storyline and mm -hmm. random chance and macroevolution and, and all of that. And I'm going so, to bring up one of those. One of the um, problems uh, is mutations themselves. Um, mutations happen. They happen in our own bodies and whatever. But um, the vast majority of mutations are either uh, like like major mutations, not minor mutations. Like I, I use the example of change of fur color. I mean, that's a that's a pretty significant thing. Um, but it was is still relatively minor. Just mm -hmm. a, a few genes changed a little bit, and so the fur color changed. Mm -hmm. But uh, but any kind of major change uh, almost always is lethal to the right. organism. So there. So as I tell my kids sometimes, you, no parent. We all want our kids to be superstars. I mean, mm -hmm. deep down, we all want our kids to have right <laughs> totally. super yeah. intelligence and yeah, athletic ability. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. no parent wants their kids to be a mutant. You know, like right. I. You know, like, I can't wait for my child, right? <laughs> right. We yeah, don't yeah. want a mutation, and we right. know instinctively because, and not just because kids will make fun of them because they have these superpowers, we know that <laughs> mutation is a handicap. Yeah, right, right. And, and we, what we see in, in genetic mutations with humans, we, we don't say, wow, that kid, I mean, in general, we don't, we don't find examples of them, wow, they had this extra super ability. We know somehow we have variation of abilities, but in many cases, the variations were we're there, I mean, almost every case, they're there to begin with. And if there's something that is a true mutation of the normal form, it's not a good thing. Yeah. It's detrimental. Right, right, or right. at the very least, it's neutral. It's like the fur color, the hair color. It's like, okay. Right. Or like the kid that's got the blotch on their, you know, in their skin. <clears throat> there's something that's like, okay, well, you know, they can be okay and, and right. they can live and, and it doesn't really hurt them. But it's not a, um, a help. It doesn't it's, give you the edge. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in evolution, in the evolutionary story, it's purporting that all of life can be can be um, explained by a, not just a mutation. And by the way, if you have a very big mutation, then it won't work when you mate with the right. whatever didn't have a big, mutation. Yeah. So, so it's got to be very minor, and you got to have 
thousands and thousands and thousands of or a million, really millions of mutations that turned that were accidental. They weren't intentional, right? And they turned out to be really, really good things, right? <laughs> yeah. So mu- mutation as the driving force for yeah. improving species, right? Um, isn't isn't as compelling as it's been presented. The science right. doesn't work. Right. I mean, it's not just like, well, we don't no, we're not sure if it's very, you know, if, if it really did happen that way. It's literally the the mutation is the the whole idea because there's no engineer, if if you take a naturalistic standpoint, there's no engineer sitting back thinking, hmm, I wonder if we alter this. I wonder if right, we alter right, that. Right. Maybe yeah. we can improve on the car. Totally. You're you're just rolling the dice to change something and it's almost always negative. Yes. Yeah, and so to to bring it back to a mechanism, we do know the uh, survival of the fittest and and that whole thing. You know, natural selection is that is only going to edit away the the traits and things that didn't don't work, work out. Yeah. yeah, right. It's never adding new information. It's never making a species better. That's good. It's just totally. editing away stuff that so, is so not nat- good. Natural enough. selection will will kill off the weak deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it'll just leave the average and strong deer. It's not going right. to suddenly turn them into super deer. Exactly. Look more like human beings or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, we rely on mutation. You'd have to have a mutation yeah. to do that. Mutation just... has to bring that new information about right. that new trait about. And then all that the mechanism we do see at work, this natural selection, yeah. only kind of edits yeah. away the the ones that didn't work yeah. out. And so, for example, like with that, we know that radiation can increase the mutation rates. Mm-hmm. And so, radiate your kids. I mean, because maybe <laughs> you know you've got a good chance, right? right. No, why are we mo- moving away from these nuclear waste sites? Yes, exactly. You know, like, we should you know? be moving to them so yeah. we can become superhuman like, <laughs> for the sake of the human race. Yeah. Yes, let's enhance ourselves. Yes, and and even when there are mutations that that you know are harmless or whatever, um, there's 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 a principle too in terms of the genetics that that things are going to move back to the mean, like. There's a classic um, case that's used in every textbook about the peppered moths in, in England in the Industrial Revolution. And so there's two different kinds of moths that were – some were more dark colored, some were more light colored. And the light colored ones um, on the uh, – like the, the birch trees um, had a camouflage advantage. But with the Industrial Revolution, with all the coal burning and everything, um, they start getting eaten up because the trees were all dark. Right with with cold soot and so then the dark colored ones had the advantage mm-hmm. and so that was used like see they were evolving well both c- kinds existed before mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then when um the industrial rev then this the uh, um coal burning stopped and pollution they cleaned it things, up they cleaned it yeah. up um then it came back to what it was before it just bounced back to it the bounced back yeah. and so things will bounce tends to bounce back towards the mean right anyway like and elastic. that was an example that's an yeah. example of microevolution in this sense but there is no new thing formed. And even right. if it was, it was a very minor, minor cosmetic difference. Right. You still aren't getting jumps in structures. No. And so, because right. um, w- we're going to run out of yeah. time. But yeah. what, a few of the things that I found really compelling, because I grew up full on, like, I am a naturalist. Darwin, you know, got it right. These, like, faith people are crazy. Yeah. You know, that was me. So can I, can I say that Darwin did get it right in many respects? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, cause right, right, he studied right. the finches changes totally. and there might, it was micro yeah, evolution yeah. stuff that he saw, but and yeah. maybe a little minor macro or something, but yeah, 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 yeah. totally. So I'm not, I'm not saying like Darwin was a fool. I'm yeah, saying yeah. that I like, I, it became my religion. And yes. so one of the, some of the things that I found really compelling later on looking back were to hear things about like Darwin wrote about his own theories 
and yeah. basically said like if cells turn out to be more complex than I think they are then my theory is not going to work mm-hmm. um, and now we now we found out cells are incredibly mind-blowingly complex yeah. Yeah, and you're like well Darwin wrote in his own works if they're mind-blowingly complex throw my you know this does not work mm-hmm. and you have tons of smart scientists from all over the place not necessarily from faith backgrounds who are signing on to petitions saying we don't think that Darwinian evolution is is still a valid explanation for what we see. Mm-hmm. Like this theory it is not working in the way that we think it does. And that's not how it was presented to me in school. Mm-hmm. So to me in school of, hey, sh- this is an open and shut case. Here's mm-hmm. what it is. And then you've got all these top scientists saying, wait, 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 wait. Darwinian, the macro evolution, Darwinian evolution story really isn't working when we actually put it to the fossil record, when we actually put mm-hmm. it to the test. And so some of the things that I've heard brought up uh, as accusations against it are no one has been able to under, explain in any form how you get life from non-life, Yes, right? Like that's never, ever been shown. So we have that hurdle to overcome. And no one's been able to show how you could have a disordered, chaotic system that produces order and, 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 and beauty in a sense, right? right? Like chaos does not create order. Um, there, there's nothing that we can do to show that. Which is um, the law, second law of thermodynamics that says that things will move from order to disorder. Right. And so evolution is basically purporting to go the other direction. Suddenly we have this strange force moving the other direction, which, which poses its own problems. Um, I, I've heard problems raised about irreducible complexity, mm-hmm. um, which I think we've almost hit on a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then also kind of looking at the fossil record and what what I've heard explained is, hey, when we look at the fossil record, uh, we don't see a tree slowly branching. We see blades of grass, almost like these independent species bursting onto the scene, fully formed and in different forms from one another. So do do any of those issues, before we kind of move on to the the biblical interpretation, uh, or do any of those sort of issues or critiques of macroevolution stand out to you guys or are worth talking about? And- this is what I want to jump in at, and, and it's it's unfortunate. And we, we knew this before we did this podcast that we weren't going to have time to even even touch um, on, on the profound challenges. But okay. the most profound thing, and I, and, and I talk to my students when, you know, in, in a secular school, in a, in, a, um, in a public high school, about this, because I think this is just uh, teaching them good critical thinking. We talked about the strengths of evolution, which we've already talked about, microevolution. Um, macroevolution has some, has some strengths and, and some support and has some weaknesses to it. And you could debate it, perhaps. But the, the point that, um, that is so incredibly weak, you could even argue that it's not a, a scientific idea. It's, it's really more of a, an idea based on assumptions, is the, is the support for, um, for life coming from non-life. Mm-hmm. We, we don't observe it, certainly. Um, we've been, uh, scientists have worked really hard to try to come up with the mechanisms and, and haven't come, come even, even scratch the surface of, of coming close towards doing that. And the reason is, is because life, when they like when Darwin was proposing his theories in the early years of studying life, um, the concept of what life was, was thought to be fairly, fairly simple. Mm-hmm. And then we started to understand a little more and especially understanding uh, before they got to understand what DNA does, they thought we were just around the corner for really getting it and really realizing that it's just a few basic chemical changes with some energy and we'll have it. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be far, far more complex. And literally, the more we find out, the more um, um, 
amazingly um, complex, and this is the irreducible complexity idea, mm. when the complexity is so great be, that there's no other reasonable explanation mm. other than a, a an intelligent source behind it, mm -hmm. then you have irreducible complexity. Okay. When you see a machine that is um, that is amazing in what it can do, mm -hmm. you know that machine was designed by someone. And so what, that's what we see in life. Uh, Bill Gates himself said about, about DNA and, and the way that DNA works is that it's more powerful and more complex than uh, the, the human DNA, let's say, or any living thing. A simple bacterium DNA is more complex than any computer program that we have, mm -hmm. that people have designed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the um, machinery of the flagellum and cilia and so forth... Uh, the the um, the way a cell wall works to filter things it's just on and on and on again um, proteins that are made from the instructions in DNA and synthesized by these little these little uh, factories called ribosomes the whole system of how that does it is, is is built around a whole bunch of different proteins that have to be there to work and they're created by the DNA and the ribosome system itself. It's like you've got to have all these pieces together. Yeah, right. You can't have two pieces out of the 30. You have to have right. all 30 at yes. once, yes. all joining in together. That's irreducible yeah. complexity. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I have to keep us moving <laughs> okay. here because I, we still, I yeah. do want to get to biblical interpretation right. before yeah. we rule this out. But uh, I, before we get there, can you define what intelligent design is? Because yeah. we sort of have this naturalistic, atheistic, uh, macroevolution story that says right. it's all random chance. It's all sort of mutation. I don't know how life came from non-life, but it really did. Uh, everything has just been accidents in the universe. And then kind of the other side, um, in my understanding, is intelligent design. But I think just like evolution, mm. we have all sorts of different ideas about what intelligent design is. Because right. if I'm an atheist and I hear intelligent design, I think, well... You're just this like Bible thumping fanatic who wants to get into the school system yeah. and tell my kids that that God did it and that you know that's the end of the story. Yeah. And so, but I don't think that's what intelligent design yeah. is. So, and people are pushing, hey, we need to teach intelligent design in schools. So, can we do like a quick definition of what do we mean when we talk about intelligent design? Yeah, I think you're right that it, it suffers from the same uh, weakness we talked about. The definition of evolution can mean different things and. Even those definitions of evolution, I think, are fairly well delineated when you take the time to talk about them. And I think, from my experience, intelligent design is even more nebulous than that. It hasn't been clearly defined. Yeah, it can mean lots of different things to different people. So as I've heard it and sort of used it is just a very basic sort of pattern recognition almost, where if you come upon a structure in nature, you sort of have this intuitive sense of if that was built by mm -hmm. some sort of intelligent being, even if it's the dam made by a beaver, right? for example. Like that, those sorts of things don't just happen by naturalistic processes. Right. Uh, if you see some sort of trap that was laid by a hunter or something, mm -hmm. you'll recognize that as clearly there's a, there's not a, a natural structure. There. Yeah, yeah there, right. there's these marks of intelligence. Or, or I guess like the, the, the more intense example would be like if you found 
a novel written in an ancient language. Absolutely. You would uh, obviously a stone assume, tablet. Stone tablet. Yeah, or yeah. written on stone yeah. tablets. And they hieroglyphics. Stone, and, There's and, a language yeah. in there, even if we yeah. don't know what the language is. So you find hieroglyphics, nobody says, huh, wow, the rock's like really randomly chipped in this crazy way. You say, Absolutely. clearly there's yeah. intelligence behind this. So I mean, they're applying that principle to DNA, to life in the universe. Yeah, and they're yeah. using the idea of irreducible complexity, like a mouse trap. It has four or five components, you take one of them out, the whole trap's worthless. Yeah, right. And you see something like that and you go, well, somebody built that. Someone right, right, designed right. it. It couldn't have accidentally designed itself right. because there'd be no feedback to tell it yes. to make the fourth piece or the fifth yeah, piece or whatever. Exactly. Evolution works really well. Um, the, the, the theory of evolution, the microevolution particularly, it works really well. You have your system and you change something a little bit and it proves the system. Mm -hmm. and, and so now it's going to survive. So that, that, that natural selection works beautifully. Um, it doesn't work very well when you start from scratch and you don't have the system, mm -hmm. or when you got to change the system profoundly. Right. Um, and you've you've got to go from driving to flying or something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I've got a definition. It just came to my mind. I hope it works um, for you for for what intelligent design is, or or maybe an analogy is what it is, not a definition. Um, think of um, think of investigation of a death that someone has died tragically, suddenly they died. Yeah. And so uh, so the police investigate, mm -hmm. and they're trying to find out is that an accidental death. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Or could it be a homicide we're looking at? Totally. Mm -hmm. And they're going to look for markers of, right. of, of it being an accident yeah. or markers that, wow, there's all these things that don't seem to fit the accidental scenario, right. but seem to fit that someone killed them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're looking for, and so they're going in, um, and, and basically the naturalist has eliminated the chance for, a, for there being a murderer. Right. They go in right? saying, like, people only die on accident. Yes. <laughs> and, and I know that. I know that to start with. And so let's just figure out how they died on accident. Right. right. Yeah. And intelligent design is basically going back to remember our discussion about Copernicus and, and Newton and, and the, the fathers of science. And, and in their mind, um, God was a um, legitimate um, player. You know, the, the concept, I guess, mm -hmm. was on the table. Right. Mm -hmm. The concept that maybe there's an intelligent design that we can look for the laws. Mm -hmm. Well, so in the same way that um, intelligent design is is putting that back on the table, well, yeah. maybe the evidence best shows, it best leads to the conclusion that there is an intelligent designer behind it. And mm -hmm. let's look at it. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe the natural processes explain the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what, to me, good critical thinking does. Mm -hmm. And I would add that y you mentioned some people hear the term and they think, oh, Bible thumpers, God did it. The young earth creationist paradigm is trying to march into schools. But I've heard this uh, intelligent design could even be like, well, there's this might sound far fetched, but there's some alien race that actually, you know, oh, put us here oh, and, I've, I've and they actually, run an yeah. experiment. They're just totally. running an experiment on Earth. Right. Right. Well, right, right. they so the intelligent designer wouldn't be a god or or any being like that, but it would be this alien race, or we're all. Like, this, I got to jump in here because yeah. actually, because literally, this is this is really interesting because Francis Crick, that was one of the the um, uh, the the guys that discovered the structure of DNA, and mm -hmm. and, and, and is, is was one of the most famous discoveries of in science. Um, he he believed the structure of DNA, and rightly so, was so so beautiful, so intricate, so simple, mm -hmm. and yet profound, mm -hmm. um, that he did not believe that the conditions on Earth would allow something to develop. Right. Yeah. And so he literally had, a, um, had a, a theory and wrote a book about it in 1980 mm -hmm. um, that was purporting that 
they had that the this this system this life system had to come from spores mm -hmm. and the spores wouldn't have survived the radiation in space and so it have to, had to be intentionally sent mm. from aliens right and he wrote a book about it i mean he yeah. was serious yeah, yeah. yeah so why didn't he believe in god it's because he it wasn't within his worldview he didn't want to believe in that but why did he believe in something like so great why didn't he believe it just happened naturally because he didn't believe it could have right. happened naturally with it's, the conditions on the earth. And so it's a good example right, right. of... of well, I've, I've heard yeah. that. I've yeah. heard like the very committed naturalist that right. says like, there is no God. Well, how do you know? Well, I just know that. I've assumed it. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're operating in that. They're committed to it as a religion. Then they're approaching science and they're saying, and purely by the time we have on earth, and they're assuming the earth is billions of years old. And they're saying, even with the billions of years that we seem to have had, we could not get, it's just, it's just happening too fast. You have these mm -hmm. explosions mm -hmm. of fully formed li uh, life forms that and are different from each other. And, and I've heard that theory yeah. before, that surely life must have been planted here from an outside source. Well, and, the right. first cells that came, mm -hmm. what? Very early three on. Um, billion years ago. But, but early. Oh, the first cells were, were more 3. than 8. three and a half billion. Yeah, yeah like, so, like we're talking a hundred, couple of hundred million years right. after so, the, the earth, crust of the earth cooled. Right. To so, have so, so the earth goes from lava to rock and all of a sudden in yeah. a short timeline, in you geologic have something, time you have these life forms that we still cannot possibly explain. They're so complex. Mm -hmm. and so The layered. simplest life form yeah. is simplest. so complex. Yes, 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 yes. We're just talking about one-celled organisms. Yes. And we're saying we do not have uh, the, the, the evidence to properly get us from non-life to life. We yeah. can't get the first cells, uh, let alone get these one-celled organisms into every single thing that we that we see today. Right. Yeah. And if I could take just maybe one more minute to address some things that maybe some of our listeners have heard. There's like the Miller-Urey yeah. experiments that yeah. showed, oh, but we can get the the basic blocks, uh, building oh, blocks of life. Few amino acids um, from yeah, the the amino acids from uh, you know primordial soup on the earth. Well, okay, great. You've you've shown how some of that chemistry can work in laboratory conditions. The problem is all of our evidence of the early Earth says that's not what we had on the early Earth. Those weren't the conditions right, we right. had. Uh, we also have uh, scientists today that are um, experimenting and sort of creating these self-assembling membranes in in the just right chemical conditions and saying, well, see, we're showing, we're demonstrating how it could happen naturally. And I'm saying, no, you're showing how it could happen with a designer behind it. <laughs> right. You are the <laughs> perfecting the system. You, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we didn't have those conditions on the early earth. Well, yeah. We still can't do um, it. I mean, that's what's fascinating. I mean, you know, the uh, scientist would, would be the most famous, you know, right. wealthiest, whatever. It would, it's like the holy grail. If you could, you know, create life or even just come, you know, come, uh, uh, one percent of the way to to, yeah. to create life right. in a laboratory, all set. intentionally, right, right, working, right. working, working, working to do that, yeah. Yeah. and and, and, we, and just, we can't we can't, can't do it. So I would just say, if you've heard some of these things, or someone has the argument, yes, we've shown how uh, amino acids can be built naturally, and we've shown how life can get started naturally in the mm -hmm. lab. It's not really an open shut case like it uh, might sound like a naturalist might. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It to be and then some of the experiments like that, like oh, we created life in a test tube and. You know, all of Dar Darwin's stuff was dead on. A lot of that stuff is actually a little more outdated now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But you you run into the, that that crossroads and the tension we've been exploring of, well, 
you have all these scientists, even agnostic kind of atheist minded scientists saying, well, this doesn't work anymore. We need something else. Mm -hmm. But almost just like Einstein with the steady state universe, you're like, well, wait a second. Is the something, does the something else have to be what the faith community believes? You know, there's almost that natural resistance of, well, we Mm -hmm. either keep kind of plugging away with Darwin stuff, even though a lot of us are seeing the holes in the theory. Or, but but I'd rather keep plugging away with this kind of theory that's getting a little teetery, uh, rather than jump on to this intelligent, you know, intelligent design or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you want to move on, and I want to make a thirty-second okay uh, no, promo. You know, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. We're gonna have to oh. do. Uh, we're gonna have to address the origins of humanity separately. Okay, because okay. uh, there's, there's. I think stuff, that's a good idea. Yeah, and you could do that. Set that aside. And and you could do that even if we yeah. can't meet. Yeah, yeah. But we should, tie, you, we should yeah. tie this off because yes. we're already at time. Yes. All we've really done is explore what is evolution. You've got micro. You've got macro. Macro is really the hot button issue. And mm-hmm. you've got tons of holes and problems with that in terms of life emerging from non-life, in terms of order from chaos, DNA from where the heck did that come from, yeah. Yeah. You know, irreducible complexity, the, what's the driving force behind it? You've got all of some of these issues that we've touched on. Yeah. And then you've got intelligent design, which we've barely talked about, but it's all these different ideas of, hey, there is intelligence behind this. There's not random chance behind this. And so really what you're talking about is the difference between naturalism or atheism mm-hmm. and theism yeah. mm-hmm. that says, hey, there is an intelligent creator behind the universe. That's where the evidence leads. Yeah, like yeah. It, you, we found the novels. Surely there must be an author because novels don't write themselves. That mm-hmm. that sort of idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe a few final thoughts, and we'll we'll. Well, I just I, this literally as a promo. I don't get paid for this. Um, <laughs> but there's a great book that's an intelligent design um, uh, book um, called The Signature in the Cell, and they um, people can look it up on Amazon. Uh, it's um, 500 pages. Uh, maybe that doesn't encourage people reading it. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. It's so intense. The 70 pages, the last 70 pages is the um, bibliography just in, in, of, of the um, documentation and so forth. And so it's it's very, very, very well researched. And it, it gives you a great history of, of biology itself. Uh, but it's it's all looking at this idea that what we see, that the evidence um, in according to this book is really... Um, giving evidence that there's a designer mm-hmm. to this wonderful thing called life. Yeah. That it doesn't, that the chance uh, concept doesn't add up. Right. So if they want to check that out. Yeah. And, and that, that's what my experience. I, mm-hmm. I, and I, maybe I'll close with this. I was in law school and I remember they held a debate between uh, intelligent design and sort of the classic evolution. And I walked into the debate thinking, hey, the evolution guy is going to come with loads of science and the, the intelligent design guy, mm. he's going to come in with like Bible open, like, you know, seriously, <laughs> yeah. I thought this is what it would yeah. be. Every, all of us did. We mm-hmm. went to, a, I was at a very anti-Christian school. So the place was packed. I was probably the only Christian in the audience thinking, oh, this guy's going to get creamed because he's just going to say, have faith, everybody. And they're going to, you know, boom <laughs> yeah. out of there. Yeah. But the fascinating thing was it was the exact opposite. Wow. The yeah. guy presenting on intelligent design had nothing but science and he was an agnostic guy. He's like, I don't even know what I believe uh, yeah. about God. I don't ascribe to any faith is. yet, though I might be headed that way. I'm just an agnostic scientist. Here's the science. And he does 30 minutes of that. Then the evolution guy gets up, no joke, and he goes on a passionate rant about the separation of church and state. Like wow. that's his right. whole take. Yeah. Yeah. Is, 
what intelligent design is connected to a faith. Therefore, we cannot teach it in school. And he was like the, the passionate, almost like po political angle. Yeah. And I was just blown away. He didn't have any science. It was just, wow. we have to separate church and state. Mm. And you sense that behind some of the debates as mm -hmm. well. But any, any closing thoughts? We got to tie this off. Yeah, just kind of to piggyback off that, just keep searching. Um, I, maybe this is a little preview to what's to come, but I, I think there are different ways to still really understand all of this. And, and none of it, in the end, to me, has to challenge your faith. There are lots of people, scientists, Christian scientists, and organizations out there that are doing a lot of this work and searching. And so mm. do some of that yourself and, and you know, see what you find. Yeah, why don't we end with that? I'd say uh, keep asking questions, uh, keep exploring science and faith, try to delight in the mystery if you can. I think all three of us uh, have come to delight in kind of the intersection of all of this stuff. Uh, ultimately, trusting in the fact that we're here and we got here somehow. <laughs> uh, and those of us in this room would say, hey, God made us uh, and God is with us and we've got some interesting stuff to wrestle with along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe we'll close with that comment you made, maybe in episode one, where you say, hey, we've got at science and scientific information, and we've got the scriptures and all the beauty and truth contained in them, and we're imperfect interpreters of both. Uh, but don't be afraid of that, and don't mm -hmm. don't jump to conclusions um, just to avoid uh, hanging out in that tension for a little bit. So uh, we'll end with that. Uh, thanks for listening, if you made it this far, uh, and may the God of all hope uh, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Till next time. Thanks again for listening to the Q&A podcast. If you have questions you'd like answered, text in your question to 208-503-3865.